0: Snuff
1: Production. There has been a shocking spate of shootings in Australia recently. In Sydney alone, there were five shootings last week and there's been more in other states. So in this episode of The Briefing, we're bringing you an investigation on the number of guns in Australia and we reveal there are Four million guns in this country. That is our briefing with Katrina Blowers. First, Jan Fran is here with me for today's headlines. It is Friday, the 4th of August.
0: Hello, Tom. As we record this morning, uh, Donald Trump is facing a federal court in Washington, D.C. Uh, he has just gotten off the Trump plane. I don't know if that's the official term for the Donald Trump plane. <laughs> I've
1: got Trump written along the side the of it. Trump
0: plane. Uh, well, he's off the Trump plane. He's gotten into a car and he's going to court, where he will be fingerprinted, and then he will face an arraignment hearing. Where he'll have charges read to him. Basically, that's what happens. Um, he's facing four counts over alleged interference in the 2020 election. Now he is expected to plead not guilty and then be released ahead of an mm. upcoming trial. But he's uh, he's he's been running his mouth on his own social media platform, not going down without a fight. Clearly.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely wild scene. So on Truth Social, he said, "I'm headed to DC to be arrested for protesting a crooked election, unfair venue." unfair judge, we are a nation in decline MAGA, which is make America great again.
0: Yeah, I think he knows what he's doing. I've seen um, several reports that have said that rather than this denting his popularity with his base, it actually tends to increase it every time he's arrested and there's a, a spectacle that happens around Donald Trump.
1: Yes, it's it's clearly, I think enlivening, enraging for his base, but there are all these other impacts. And so we did a whole episode on this in yesterday's briefing, if you want to check it out, because we put these charges in the context of all the other charges. Mm. These are by far the most important, but yes, it might enliven his base, but it also gets Democrats really worried and enlivened and coming out to vote. But it's going to be Joe Biden versus Trump, most likely in next year's election. Trump with this crazy base, Biden not doing very well at all, also showing signs of his age. Mm. Do you think Trump will be president again?
0: Oh, do not ask me that question because it's so hard to predict.
1: If you I? had to put your money on it.
0: Probably.
1: Really? Yeah. Well,
0: he's he's in the lead at the moment. He's, um, main for main rival For the Republicans, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, his main rival, Ron DeSantis, at least the rival that everyone was touting, doesn't seem to be doing as well mm. as what um, people thought that he would be doing. But, you know, I hate speculating, Tom. So I'm, I'm cautious about saying a definitive yes, obviously.
1: And the former Defence Minister, Linda Reynolds, is suing Brittany Higgins for defamation. So Reynolds filed the suit in the WA Supreme Court yesterday, um, suing Brittany Higgins over two social media posts, one on Twitter, one on Instagram.
0: Yeah, this is something that Linda Reynolds had threatened to do uh, last month in July. So she sent a concerns notice to Brittany Higgins basically saying, look, I'm going to sue you for defamation. Uh, Brittany Higgins made that public. Mm. I don't think Linda Reynolds was very happy with that. And she's basically said that the response to her concerns notice from Brittany Higgins has been unsatisfactory and that's why she's decided to
1: sue. And she's already suing Brittany Higgins' partner, David Shiraz, for defamation as well, also in the WA Supreme Court. Yeah, this
0: whole thing is a mess and truly nobody wins.
1: Except the lawyers.
0: Except the lawyers. Good for them, I guess.
1: (laughs) The amount of lawsuits. There's a defamation action still pending against Lisa Wilkinson Mm. and Channel 10. We've got these two suits. Um, We've had the findings of the Soronov inquiry in the ACT leaked this week. With damning findings against the ACT chief prosecutor, it's just destroyed so many people.
0: And human remains have been recovered near where a military chopper crashed uh, during training exercises off the coast of Queensland last Friday. So, a remotely operated underwater search vehicle uh, made the find. That was about 40 metres below the surface, not far from where the chopper hit the water. It were four people on board. Mm. Uh, The Army is providing support to their families at this moment, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they haven't been able to identify the remains, but they suspect they are the remains of the four people who perished on this chopper.
0: Yeah, they've also um, not been able to find the black box so that the flight recorder that Mm. kind of gives you all the information about um, what might have happened. And there's some bad weather and some pretty strong currents that I think are hampering that. So hopefully, if and when they do find that, we'll know more about exactly what happened.
1: And the singer Lizzo has responded to several of her tour dances levelling allegations against her, allegations of sexual harassment, um, creating a hostile work environment, including weight shaming and sexually denigrating behaviour between 2021 and 2023... Um, In a social media post, she said these claims are sensationalised, outrageous and unbelievable and basically described the levellers of these accusations as disgruntled former employees.
0: Yeah, that was sort of the tone. Um, She said that they they are former employees who've already admitted that they were told that their behaviour on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. I wasn't sure whether Lizzo was going to respond because usually when this happens with big celebrities, some of them go to ground, some of them post through it and pretend nothing's happening and some of them kind of respond to it Mm. head on and she's decided to do that and... I remember when this story first happened because this is, you know, we're all just like have tiny lizard brains that love Schadenfreude and of some kind. Mm. I was on her Instagram and just looking at all of the comments and some of them were really nasty, you know, saying, you've been exposed, you know, you've been cancelled or whatever it is. Right. And so when she's come out with this statement um, that, that that I've read saying, you know, uh, she says in it, I know what it feels like to be body shamed on a daily basis. I would absolutely never criticize or terminate an employee because of their weight. You sort of realise, like, oh. Nobody really knows the details of this story at all, certainly not any more than the people involved in it. Mm. And We have this tendency to just to to jump in and to kind of, you know, be really nasty about it or...
1: Um... Well, so there was a pylon already is what you're saying there and it's clearly because these allegations seem to go against what she stands for, what her brand is Mm. all about as someone, especially on the body positivity side.
0: Yeah. Well, she, you know, Lizzo was someone who sort of stood for all the good things. Um, I imagine she continues to stand for them. I don't know, you know. All the good things? Body positivity, sex positivity, you know, um, diversity, inclusion of everyone, uh, was a big supporter of LGBT, the LGBT community, big supporter of trans people, you know, had these very sort of progressive values that she very happily wore on her sleeve. And I think she was seen as this person who was um, very virtuous, Mm. um... And so I think when allegations come out against somebody like that, uh, it's the fall is harder. Mm. And I think people, there's a a keener interest because, you know, she was built up as this, you know, paragon of virtue. And so now it's like, oh, well, how can she do all of this stuff that she's alleged to have done, which she says she hasn't. And the truth is we don't know. We just don't know.
1: Mm. Um, But it's so interesting, isn't it? When someone is seen as virtuous, there's more people out to see them fall when something goes wrong.
0: Yeah. It's partly because social media speaks to our base instincts so much, doesn't it? You know,
1: this is what societies have done for (laughs) thousands of years, tear people down in the town square. Um, another interesting part of her statement, sometimes I have had to make hard decisions and it's never my intention to make anyone feel uncomfortable or like they aren't valued as an important part of the team. But as an artist, you are running a business. You're running a, a tour operation, a recording business, a merch business. And so sometimes they are going to have to fire people.
0: Mm. Are you saying that you, you, in just the line of work, you're going to put someone's nose out of joint in some way? Yeah. I mean, again, you know, some of these dancers are alleging that they were sort of coerced into touching nude performers, for example, mm. which seems like a fairly uncomfortable thing to be a part of. So... I guess we just we we don't know the level of hurt, of coercion, of allegations that we're sort of talking about to really be able to kind of comment on it in the way that we'd like.
1: But given that potential fall from grace, we'll all be watching it very closely.
0: Oh no, I'll be on her Instagram. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> all right,
1: we'll catch you guys later. Katrina's about to take you on a deep dive on the amount of guns on our streets.
2: We've had a cluster of shootings across Australia recently. In Sydney, there were five shootings over five days last week, part of an escalation in violence in the wake of former drug lord Alan moradian's execution at Bondi Junction. Over the weekend, three men were hospitalised after being shot in Melbourne in targeted attacks and a man was shot in the stomach on the doorstep of a home in Brisbane's north as well. Meanwhile, over in Perth, a young mum died after being shot in the head in a suspected domestic violence murder-suicide last week. All of this got us thinking about guns in Australia, how many there are and how hard are they to get hold of. And should we be worried about gun crime returning to our streets? It's been 27 years since major gun reforms were implemented. Joining us is our investigations editor, Claire Weaver, who's dug into this issue. She joins us on the briefing today. G'day, Claire.
3: Thank you for joining us on the briefing. First up, how many guns do we have in Australia? Hi, Katrina. So the short answer is about 4.34 million, but there are a few layers to this. Most of them, about 3.8 million, are registered guns privately held by civilians. On top of that, there are more than a quarter of a million unregistered guns. So these are illicit or grey market firearms that aren't in the official registry data. Illicit guns, which could be illegally imported, manufactured, stolen or diverted, are the kinds often used in organised crime and the underworld shootings that we've been seeing lately. Grey market ones could be guns that were, say, legally owned by granddad but never surrendered or registered when the laws changed. And then there are another 214,500 held by our defence forces and another 69,000 held by police and law enforcement, according to the most recent small arms survey.
2: So when I hear that number, 4.34 million, that sounds like a lot to me. Sounds like a lot of guns, especially when I visualize that number of guns all in a pile. Is that a lot of guns for a
3: country like Australia to have? Well so we have about 26.4 million people in Australia, so it's about one gun per six people if you average it out across the population. But of course they aren't spread around evenly. There are for example postcodes in rural areas that actually have more guns than adults. And if we narrow it down to the population of firearm licence holders rather than the whole population, we're looking at five guns per licence donor. Compared to the past, we have fewer people with firearms these days, but those who do have them tend to own more weapons. And among them are some individuals who have hundreds of guns in one place. For example, in Cremorne on Sydney's North Shore, there's an individual with 411 guns and another person in the Matraville area with 306 firearms. Interestingly, these people are not official dealers or collectors. They just really like guns. And if we zoom out to the rest of the world, our gun stash is unsurprisingly much smaller than somewhere like the US, where there are almost 400 million guns. So in other words, their population of guns is bigger than their population of people. But then again, we have almost tripled the total number of the Netherlands, which has a bigger population and overall a more like one gun per 43 people ratio.
2: Go, what always fascinates me about digging into statistics like this is that there'd be a whole bunch of people who'd be next door neighbours to those people living in Cremorne and, and Matraville in Sydney who'd, who may have absolutely no idea that those people have got hundreds of guns that, um, that are licensed to them. Um, so off the back of the latest spate of shootings in Sydney, police have said the violence is actually about drugs.
3: So are guns really the problem here? That's a really good question. Yes and no. Drugs and simmering gang rivalry are clearly at the heart of it. But given guns are the weapon of choice, they're part of the problem too. And it's guns that put members of the public at risk from accidents or stray bullets, particularly when we have daylight shootings in public places as seen in Sydney last week. It's a bit like that disingenuous catchphrase that guns don't kill people, people kill people which ignores the fact access to guns is a major risk factor in shootings. Having said that, I should make it clear that it's not registered guns that are the problem here. That's an
2: excellent point. And, you know, whenever I think about gun control, I usually think that Australia is seen as being, you know, the gold standard when it comes to gun control. John Howard, our former PM, a huge part of his legacy was the gun buyback and amnesty, which happened after the 1996 Port Arthur massacre. Are we still leading the world when it comes to our gun
3: control? Well, yeah. Look, in fact, many gun control advocates have urged countries with very high rates of gun violence, like the US, to learn from Australia's landmark National Firearms Agreement, which led to more than 650,000 weapons being destroyed and the establishment of official gun registries. A quick recap for our younger listeners, Martin Bryant killed 35 people and wounded another 23 in a shooting spree in the Tasmanian tourist town of Port Arthur in 1996 in what remains Australia's worst massacre in modern history. That's what sparked landmark gun reforms, which also included tightening rules on licensing, the banning of automatic and most semi-automatic rifles and shotguns, and safer storage requirements. And John Howard has described this, as he said, as one of the proudest achievements of his prime ministership.
2: So how have things changed since then?
3: Well, before then, Australia was actually a country that, like the US, had mass shootings and use of assault rifles, a situation that may be inconceivable to young people who've grown up in a much safer era. For example, in 1987, a 19-year-old failed military graduate killed seven people when he sprayed more than 100 rounds of ammunition indiscriminately at passing motorists in Melbourne's northeast. In 1991, another killer opened fire on innocent shoppers in Strathfield's shopping plaza in Sydney. So back in 1988, a quarter of households had a gun. That's more like 5% now. And here's something interesting. Even though the total number of firearms in Australia has creeped back up and surpassed the Port Arthur total, gun crime has actually sunk to a historic low. So we have ongoing gun amnesties, which allow people to surrender unregistered or ban firearms without fear of prosecution... And there are very strict rules around licensing and ownership. So that goes to the heart of, you know, people who
2: argue against gun control in the United States, doesn't it? That it really is access to guns that are the determining factor here. I mean, at least when you look at those Australian statistics, you mentioned earlier, and my mind keeps going to these people who have like 400 guns. Yeah. Why do we know
3: why people want guns? Well, look, we're not like America in this space, so people aren't getting them as a constitutional right or for self-defence. We're not just popping down to Walmart and buying a rifle to have in the wardrobe just in case. The top reasons for licences are hunting, target shooting or practice, animal management and pest or vermin control. And then there are various niche reasons like starting pistols for races, film and TV production, RSL club displays and historical reenactments. Then there are people who might want a gun, but police don't agree that they should have one. They might have crime connections, for example. These people can be issued with firearm prohibition orders, which make it an offence for them to have or use a gun in the interest of public safety. A glance at the data for FPOs shows there are higher numbers issued in areas where we have had shootings of late. Alright, so these are the registered guns. Let's
2: talk for a second about our stash in Australia of unregistered and
3: illicit firearms and how do they get here? Well, so according to the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission, there are at least 260,000 illicit guns in Australia, comprising 250,000 long arms and 10,000 handguns. That's their expert conservative estimate based on available data such as importations and seizure trends. But they acknowledge the actual figure could be as high as 600,000 if you applied the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime illicit ratio estimate of 10 to 20% of registered guns. But really, given the nature of this shadowy trade, it's impossible to say exactly. As to where they come from, some are smuggled into Australia, siphoned off the legal market, or even made with 3D printers.
2: All right, so let's get back now to guns in public hands. I think we all want to know, where are they?
3: Right, so rural and regional areas have the highest gun ownership, which isn't that surprising. Places like Australia's country music capital of Tamworth have 16,493 in just one postcode. So that makes sense because it's um, the use of firearms in farming, hunting and pest control. Outer metropolitan areas are next, but even in suburbia and inner city postcodes, it's not uncommon to have a thousand or more. So if we compare the states, New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland each have around a million registered guns and the other states and territories have the remainder. I think listening to
2: this, there's more guns in Australia than certainly I thought. And I know that you've analysed these statistics and looked at the correlation with actual crime. For any of us listening right now who might be a bit more concerned
3: to learn that there are more guns than they perhaps expected, should we be worried? Well, despite our strong record, there are still valid concerns about the gun situation in Australia. We rank 26th out of 206 countries in the world for the biggest total of privately owned guns. That's not counting unregistered weapons. And regulations aside, the availability of guns registered or otherwise is a risk. So among relationships impacted by intimate partner violence, for example, the risk of a male perpetrator killing their partner is ten times higher if they have access to a gun. Just look at the case of Peter Miles, who wiped out three generations of his family in a murder-suicide using his own guns near Market River in WA in 2018. And Sydney man John Edwards, who obtained guns legally despite a history of domestic violence and killed his teenage children in another murder-suicide in West Pennant Hills in 2018... More recently, conspiracy theorist Nathaniel Train and his brother and sister-in-law fatally shot two police officers and a neighbour in Weambilla, Queensland, after buying ammunition despite his gun licence being suspended. And a couple of months ago, Yamba father Wayne Smith shot his 15-year-old son Noah dead before turning his gun on himself just months after having his firearms licence reinstated. All of which shows we do need to maintain vigilance around licensing and gun ownership, particularly where crime, mental health and domestic violence may be involved.
2: That was our listener investigations editor, Claire Weaver. And if you want to know more about this and uh, get even deeper into those statistics, there's a great website that Claire has told me about called gunpolicy.org. There's certainly more information there if you are keen to learn more.
1: Coming up tomorrow in your feed will be the weekend briefing hosted by Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you interviewing this week?
4: I've got a special treat for you this weekend. I've got a special treat for you for the next few weekends, in fact. We are doing a series on the weekend briefing where I am talking to some of my favourite guests, old and new, about a single fascinating subject. So, over the next couple of months, you are going to hear from singers, from writers, models, actors, changemakers on a whole bunch of different topics everything from power and influence to mindset and money to bodies and brains. And we are kicking off with the incredible M. Rassiano, who is one of those people who is the ultimate slashy, right? Like she does everything. There's nothing she doesn't do on stage, on screen, on a microphone. Um, She has a finger in every piece of the performing pie. She's got podcasts. She's hosted breakfast radio. She's been in TV shows. She's written award-winning books and audio books. And she was diagnosed with ADHD and then autism over the last few years. And so she joined me to speak about neurodiversity and these diagnoses that have totally changed her life.
1: Mm, interesting. Emma Rusciano on the weekend briefing. Thank you to our hardworking team, our producers, Eleanor Harrison, and Dengate, Helen Smith, Dan Mullins and editor Matt Kuzkari, plus our socials team. Have a great weekend. I'll catch you Monday. Listener.